With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Sunday to everyone out there. Welcome to Taking You to School, formerly the only college basketball show on the RF Sports Radio Network. Now we talk hoops of all sorts. We moved into a new time slot, moved back a couple hours. We've got a new theme song. We're a lot more exciting now. And, of course, I'm a lot more excitable. I'm your host, Joe Perello. I'm joined, as always, by my two distinguished colleagues. First of all, my colleague at SweetSports.com. That's S-U-I-T-E Sports.com. He's contributed to the ESPN True Hoop Network of blogs. Also to BuzzFeed, among other things, Mr. Jeremy Conlon. Jeremy, uh, are you uh, taking a break from that Shia LaBeouf movie fest to join us today? Uh, begrudgingly, yes. I would much rather be watching Transformers right now. Ah, which one's on? Is it the first one or the second one? Right now, Revenge of the Fallen is just starting. So I have it on in the background, and I'll be watching that as I talk. And, of course, Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen, a movie slightly worse than Sharknado... And slightly less realistic, but we'll we'll get to that a little later. Uh, also joining us from roundballdaily.com, one of the best hoops blogs on the net. You should definitely give him a check or uh, give him a try. Really, really funny stuff. Uh, Mr. Kells Dayton, he's covered summer league pretty extensively. Had uh, a lot of good draft coverage. Kells, uh, it's been a while. How are you doing? Pretty good, Joe. I hope this show turns out to be as good as uh, Sharknado was. Oh, dude. Okay, first of all, before we, we delve into the, the serious basketball issues of the day that, of course, we're going to discuss at length, I've got to ask, have either one of you actually seen Sharknado? I've seen it twice. <laughs> uh, I saw bits and pieces, but I I saw bits and pieces, but from what I saw, it was definitely Oscar-worthy, so. <laughs> well, you know, anything with... Actually, the, the the fact that Tara Reid was in it made me really sad because I had like a real crush on her when she was in American Pie, and she's she looks like she's about eighty now, so it's clearly she hasn't she hasn't aged like a fine wine, unfortunately. But uh, that's neither here nor there. They also used the way that they killed the the shark in Jaws one. They totally ripped that off, and they rip off a scene from a nineteen sixty six Batman movie where he's hanging from a ladder and the shark bites him. So it, it's just. It knows it's terrible, and it's in your face with how terrible it is. I, I'd recommend anyone. I believe they're having another encore uh, showing of it tonight. But anyways, on I'm to basketball. I'm not sure if they ripped it off, Joe, or if it's just great minds think alike, you know? <laughs> you you could be right. They, I mean, Steven Spielberg and whoever made Sharknado, great minds think alike. Um But, yeah, I'm definitely not going near any sharks or any tornadoes after seeing that. It's a, it's a fantastic movie. Um Moving on to basketball, and obviously we're all in New England. Uh, the big story here with the Celtics is the total remaking of their roster. Uh, 
you know, established stars like Garnett, Pierce. I don't want to say Jason Terry is an established star, but whatever. He was a veteran. He's he's on the way out. They brought in uh, Kim Kardashian's ex and a bunch of other people that they don't expect to contend with. But perhaps more significantly, they brought in former Butler coach Brad Stevens, a young guy. He relies on a lot of advanced statistics and, and advanced scouting methods, things like that. One of the, the brighter basketball minds, uh, thought of one of the brighter basketball minds in the country. And, Jeremy, I, I know we've kind of talked about this before, but – and I know you think it's a pretty good hire, but but I want you to expand upon that. Why is this right now, especially for a rebuilding team, why is this such a good hire? Because um, basically they're in a no-lose scenario with this. Um, if he works out, he's a young coach that they have on a six-year deal that will be – like. so if he turns out he's a great coach, he's still going to be around um, by the time they're ready to contend again. Um, and if it turns out he sucks, that's not really a big problem because they're not looking to contend right now anyway. Um, and the most likely scenario is that he's not very good to start, but it doesn't totally matter because, you know, he's going to build along with the team. Like he's going to grow as a coach um, and, you know, sort of try to take them into the next era of self-defense. Uh, um, and, you know, there's been a lot of stories about the, the young kid out of Duke that he hired to be a graduate assistant that did all the advanced staff stuff. Uh, and he's going to be on the Celtics staff as an assistant coach, and he's going to be the youngest assistant coach in the history of the NBA. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's really encouraging for a team that puts a lot of emphasis on analytics and advanced statistics. Um, you know, to have that, you know, to be on the cutting edge of, of coaching analytics uh, not just in terms of player evaluation and scouting and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to agree. And, and like I said, I watch, and I know Kells does, watches a lot of college basketball and a lot of mid-major college basketball. And, and Butler, I mean, they're one of those teams where you just never understood how they were so good, but but they always found ways to win. It's borderline frustrating, i got to say. Kells, uh, I know, you, like I said, you've watched a lot of mid-major basketball. Uh, who didn't? You know, who didn't get caught up in Butler's two magical runs? Uh, what do you think of this hire for the Celtics? Um, I think, you know, Joe, I think it remains to be seen how well he's going to do. Uh, I think a lot of the college coaches, when they come in, it seems like they don't have as much success. But I hope that the Celtics gives him the time that he needs to mm-hmm. actually work through it. I know he has a six-year deal. But I think when you look at him and you look at the, a lot of the college coaches that come in, it's like it seems like they go to bad teams and they don't really get the opportunity to really get the players in place that they're going to need to be successful. So I think, like any other coach, it's going to come down to are they going to get players. I think that's the number yeah. one thing for him. But I think like he's a really great coach. I think he's a he's a really good hire, as good as anyone out there was going to be, as shocking as it was that he actually got the job. But uh, I think he's really smart. He really knows his X's and O's. Uh, he's a great motivator, and I think I really think if he does get a good group around him, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he does with Rondo. But I think if he does get a good group around him, he can definitely be successful because I think he's one of the better coaches that we have in the game today. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting, especially if, say, the Celtics do poorly next year and they end up somehow magically with that number one pick and they get a you know an expected superstar like Andrew Wiggins. You know, this guy has never played – you know, never played and never coached a system where it revolves around one guy. Would he, you know, coach to that? Would he coach to his strengths? How would he adjust? I mean, he's a pretty bright guy that's one with a variety of different players, uh, but I think it would be really interesting to see him kind of 
and it would almost represent the shift from small-time college basketball to the pros. And the the other thing, he's a lot like, you know, Chip Kelly, who got a lot of offers from supposedly bigger schools in football. You know, this guy was being talked about with a lot of the bigger college basketball jobs every time they opened up. You know, he's mentioned at UCLA, which is, of course, one of the best jobs in all of college basketball after what John Wooden did there, you know, in his long, illustrious tenure. And he pretty much, and now we're finding out, he was pretty much holding out for a big-time NBA coaching job. So, you know, this seems like the goal from the So props to him. He wasn't going to stay at Butler forever. I feel a little bad because Butler just made a really awesome uh, – sports video with their little bulldog running around doing all these different sporting activities and training and it ends with Brad Stevens uh, timing the bulldog in the 40 or something like that and then they had to totally remake the video so I, I feel a little bad for Butler's athletic department but uh, that's neither here nor there Kels, I, I want to go to you uh, with this next question and talking a little bit about the NBA Summer League which I know you followed probably closer uh, definitely closer than me but uh, I, I've seen a lot of your write-ups and a lot of your recaps. I think we, we, we stole one of them for Sweet Sports, so uh, thanks for that. Uh, just kind of kind of talk about a couple of the guys that have stood out to you and, you know, where they could conceivably contribute this year on, on their teams, even if they're not rookies, if they're guys that are just looking to make it in the league. Yeah, well, I think the most interesting guy is Victor Oladipo because I think you look at him – the Magic played him at point guard in the summer league, which I thought was really yeah. interesting. I think they drafted him to be a two guard, but I think they sort of discovered the fact that he can play a little bit of point guard, especially because he's not that big. I think he's only like six four, and uh, he could end up being their point guard of the future. I think when you watched him in summer league, he did a pretty good job. Uh, not to say that you know he's going to be able to come right in in his rookie year and play the point that well. It's obviously mm-hmm. a lot more difficult, especially learning the system and then having to be the guy that makes all those decisions. But I thought he played really well. I thought he was basically the star of the Orlando Summer League for them. And uh, I think, you know, another guy, too, who I really liked coming into the draft is C.J. McCollum with the Blazers. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting the fact that, you know, he got compared so much to Damian Lillard before the draft even uh, began. The fact he goes to Damian Lillard's team, he's going to be in the backcourt with Damian Lillard. Uh, They're both very small, so it's going to be interesting to see can can that backcourt work with not as much size as you'd like in an NBA backcourt. But I thought he really played well in summer league, and I think he definitely is going to be able to contribute to the Blazers, whether he's the backup point guard or whether he does play alongside Lillard. Um, Then two other guys, I think Jeremy Lamb also played really well. I think it's going to be interesting with him because I think he's basically the replacement now. If you move two years back, he's basically now the replacement for James Harden in that position there that they have. They haven't really brought anyone else in. They uh, let go of Kevin Martin. He's in Minnesota now. So I think that's going to be interesting because he's going to play a big role this season uh, to see if the Thunder can get back to the NBA Finals and maybe win a championship. And uh, the one other guy I was going to mention is Michael Carter-Williams. I thought he played pretty well in the summer league. Uh, struggled a little bit with turnovers, but he scored a lot more than he did in college. His shot looked pretty good. And I think that was the one thing that was really the big knock on him coming mm-hmm. into the NBA was he didn't really have a pure jump shot. So I think those are the guys who really impressed me uh, so far in summer league. Yeah, and, and Michael Carter-Williams, you mentioned, uh, one of the more intriguing prospects, 6'6", six, six, long arms, but plays the point. And, you know, he's pretty athletic for a guy his size, and really the only knock, like you mentioned, the only knock on him was his jump shooting, which I always say in a, in a sport where the idea is to put the ball in the basket, the fact that you can't do it with regularity is, is a bit of a problem, but it is something that can be worked on. You can't exactly teach 6'6 six six with a 6'8 wingspan and a uh, – ridiculous athleticism. So, uh, you know, we, you're willing to work with them on, on, on a jump shot. 
uh, Jeremy, I, I want to go to you. You mentioned Michael Carter-Williams before we got on the air and, and how, yeah, he struggled with turnovers. He, he's been impressive in some phases, unimpressive in other phases. Uh, what does the summer league, you know, put it in a little perspective right now, what does that mean for, for a guy like Michael Carter-Williams? Uh, obviously it's not going to be the same as, as when the NBA season starts. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to translate uh, from summer league to the NBA just because, I mean, like, summer league isn't, uh, you know, it's barely the same level as D1 basketball. Like, it's like it seems like, or, you know, the NCAA tournament level of, of competition. Like, a lot of these guys are, you know, super retreads that are just on the roster because, um, you know, but there's really no chance for a lot of these guys to make an NBA roster. So, yeah. like, the talent level is not what you're going to see in the regular season. Um, so you're really just looking for skills that are going to translate. And with Carter Williams, like, you know, his jump shot is better, but he's still not scoring very efficiently. He's turning the ball over a lot. But his movement is very good, like the way he's moving on the court, the way he's defending. Um, so, like, in the role that he's in in summer league is very different from the role he's going to be used in once the regular season starts and he's surrounded by actual NBA talent. Um, so, um, you know, in some sense he's looked great, but in some senses he's looked pretty poor. Um, the guys that I really like to look at are guys like um, Jerome Randall and Stefan Hanna, guys that, uh, you know, they're not going to be stars on any level. But they're playing so well in summer league, probably make the roster as like the third point guard, or you know, you know Jeremy Tyler might make the next roster in some fashion. I don't know. Um, but the, like these guys that um, you know, you're, you're, they're not expected to be major contributors, but they mm-hmm. impress so much in summer league that they make the roster. Those are the kind of guys that um, you know. Those are the field of the summer league. That's the reason why the summer league exists, so that you can sort of find the you know diamonds in the rough that. You know, maybe they won't be star players, but, you know, if, if some team has a bunch of blood of injuries at point guard, all of a sudden you might see Stefan Hanna or Jerome Randall stepping up, you know, and playing 20 minutes a game. And that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't if it wasn't for Summer League. These guys never would have been discovered. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, if, if nothing else, and you talked about retreads and things like that, guys that have zero chance of making the roster, it does allow guys that have, you know, maybe been second-round picks that have done well in the D League that have, flirted with NBA rosters at the end of the bench to, to maybe get a little bit more exposure. And, and really, I mean, much like college basketball and college football scouting, the way we scout these high school kids, and the exposure for these events of things 10 years ago, no one even watched, no one watched summer league. You know, we didn't have the, we didn't have NBA TV. We didn't have all that stuff. So now like the average fan can just t- turn it on and say, Oh man, you know Trey Burke. He was supposed to be the top point guard in this class, but what's he doing? He's doing this against you know a guy that barely played uh, you know for the rest of his last year or something like that. So it's a it's an interesting dynamic. It leads to a lot more scrutiny by the average fan, which I think puts a lot more pressure on guys that were actually drafted and we expect a lot of. Which I think speaks to the uh, the fact that Victor Oladipo was able to play as well as he was is uh, kind of a you know a compliment to his toughness and his mental toughness. Um, Moving on to some of the moves this offseason that teams have made, some contenders looking to take that next step. And as we've seen, some teams that are in the basement have made some moves. Uh, Al Jefferson heading over to uh, the Charlotte Bobcats, who well, I guess they're going to be the Hornets now. So I can't keep track of all this stuff. But uh, I want to talk about a couple of moves. The one I was looking at and that I find very interesting is pretty much everybody was in agreement, in agreement that anybody who signed Andrew Bynum was, it was a total buyer beware. 
But with the way the contract is structured with him, there's basically no guaranteed money, and, and he's going to the Cavs. I mean, when he's healthy, he's obviously uh, one of the better centers in the league. Uh, and, Jeremy, I, I want to ask you about that move, but also what moves have kind of caught your eye that maybe, you know, other than Dwight Howard, whatever, that are some a little bit more under the radar that you think are solid moves that, that can maybe take a team to the next level? Uh, well, the Bynum deal is structured in, like, like you said, a lot of it is non-guaranteed money. Um, and the thing with the Bynum contract <laughs> is that this is the type of non-guaranteed contract with incentives that actually make sense. Um, so the way that incentives are structured in the NBA is that they need to be number-based and they need to be positive reinforcements. So so let's say, for example, Josh Smith, you wanted to give him an incentivized contract so that he would stop shooting jump shots. That yeah. would be illegal. <laughs> you can't say we will pay you more to not do something. Um, not but shoot. the way the way that Bynum's works is if you hit this many minutes over the course of the season, you get another million dollars. And I don't, I haven't looked up, I'm not even sure if this is public, like what those number increments are. I would assume it's every like 200 minutes or so. Um, but that, that's what the incentivized contract is supposed to reinforce, is just getting someone on the floor um, for those minutes. And it's, because it's, it's built like that, if he doesn't play at all, they're only on the hook for, I think, $6 million over the two years, which is a, you know, that's a worthwhile risk to take. Um, yeah. But if it, if it turns out that they, they're on the hook for the full level of the contract, which is $24 million, I think, um, that means he's probably going to be playing 70, 80 games over the course of both seasons. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely going to, it's going to push the Cavs up towards that, you know, you know, the mid-tier in the East. Like, they're not going to be as good as, uh, obviously not as good as Miami and like not as good as Indiana, Brooklyn, Chicago, that level. Um, but they're going to be up there with Atlanta, uh, maybe Detroit, you know, the, in the bottom half of the playoff bracket. Um, you know, so if Bynum's healthy, he's definitely going to be a key guy for them. Um, and then in terms of other deals, there were two that um, I sort of have mixed feelings about. Uh, Minnesota signed Kevin Martin and Dallas signed yeah. Jose Calderon. And on the surface, they're both pretty good deals because they're they're good players right now. But the problem is they signed them for four-year deals that are all guaranteed, and both guys are on the wrong side of 30. So, like, for next season, paying those guys $7, $8 million, that's a really good price. But paying them, you know, 9 or $10 million in 2017, um, yeah. that might be an issue. And, like, a, like be, they become expiring contracts, so it's not – you know, it's not going to kill them, but you know, those, the last two years of those deals might come back to bite them in the ass. And um, you know, for a team like Minnesota that's trying to keep Kevin Love in town, that might not have been the best deal. Uh, and mm -hmm. for Dallas, a team that's trying to get back into contention before Dirk retires, um, that you know, those deals could, in the end, prove um, sort of like roadblocks for getting them to where they want to go. Yeah, yeah, he definitely said that, and especially that Kevin Martin deal, like. I have to agree with you there. Going four years on, I mean, he's a very good shooter. He stretches the floor, but Kevin Love's got to be the ultimate priority for them. He's the one guy that, you know, they can actually build that team around, although it seems like they've been kind of trying to build around him and haven't really gotten too far. But nonetheless, he's a phenomenal talent, and you want to keep him in town. And, and he's, a, you know, he's a nice guy. He's a pretty marketable guy. He's done a couple commercials, things like that, uh, and, and a lot of fun to watch. So you'd like to keep him in town. Who knows if bringing him a three-point shooter. But the other good thing is he has – 
a skill in shooting that hopefully you hope over four years doesn't decline the way that, you know, maybe if you brought in an Iguodala who was a great defender, uh, you know, and a guy that could get up and down the floor or something like that. Uh, Kels, I'll go to you. Uh, you know, it's been an interesting offseason, to say the least. It's been a very, very interesting offseason. Uh, what are some of the moves that have caught your eye, both bad and good? Yeah, well, I think obviously, like you said, obviously you look at the Dwight Howard deal. But uh, other than that, I think uh, a lot of people have talked about the Andre Iguodala deal with uh, the Warriors. Yeah. I think that's a good move for them. I think they definitely needed a guy who could add more defense, mm-hmm. uh, another guy who really could be a leader on that team. Um, I still think they're a big man away from really contending. I think people are getting a little bit too bad on themselves of putting them as uh, one of the contenders out west. I still think they need mm-hmm. a guy who they can throw it down low to and have them score in there, but um, I think the other one that I thought was really interesting that I was going to mention, Joe, is uh, Andre Karolinko with the Nets. Uh, the Nets basically had no bench. <laughs> I'm saying, I mean, they had no bench, we thought, next year. Uh, and he basically took, like, a ridiculous pay cut. I forget what the actual mm-hmm. numbers were, but he opted out of his contract in Minnesota, and he ended up taking, like, a $7 million pay cut or something like that yeah. uh, to sign the poker off, which you kind of – other NBA people were saying something a little yeah. bit shady going on there. <laughs> Especially with Broker off with the connections there. I don't know what's going on. But I think that definitely could be an interesting move for them because now it solidifies their bench a little bit. It gives them a little more scoring off the bench. And now that you they don't actually have a terrible bench, especially with they, they uh, re-signed Andre Blatch as well. So mm-hmm. I think now they actually have some guys who they can go to and give them more minutes, especially during the regular season when they need to rest Paul Pierce and uh, Kevin Garnett. So I think that was sneakily a really good move for them and something that might keep them – maybe in contention, possibly get to that Eastern Conference Finals, and who knows, maybe mm-hmm. even knock off the Heat in that round. Yeah, and, you know, everyone's talking about the Heat like they're absolutely unbeatable. The Heat looked pretty vulnerable in the last two rounds of the playoffs. I mean, I say this as a fair-weather Heat fan, and maybe I'm just being a, a Debbie Downer, but I, I thought they looked pretty vulnerable. And, you know, the, the other side of that is, well, Wade wasn't healthy. If he's healthy, they're that much better, but... Who really knows? You know, it's going to be an interesting Western Conference next year. I think the East is a little bit less interesting. But before we get to our required argument of uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Kobe Bryant that I, I do want to get to in a couple minutes, uh, Kels, back to you real quick. Uh, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I wanted to be talked about Brooklyn and all that they've added. Uh, i got to ask, a lot of people have been talking about the Knicks and Brooklyn, who's going to be the best team, you know, in the state or whatever, and, Obviously, the Knicks had a very, very good regular season last year. Uh, and Carmelo Anthony did one MVP vote. And then in a year where LeBron James was LeBron James, that means something. Who do you think will be better next year? Uh, the Brooklyn Nets with their new very young kid of the head coach or the uh, New York Knicks? I got to say right now, I think it's going to be the Nets, Joe. Um, I, think, mm-hmm. I think Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett do have one more year left in them. And I know we've been saying that for like three years in a row now, <laughs> yeah. but... I really think, like, I think when you look at it, like, KG is so intense. He's going to get the rest of the guys to play around him, whether Jason Kidd can coach or not. I think uh, Jason Kidd's probably the wrong guy for this team. Like, I think if they had made the trade for KG and Pierce before Kidd was hired, I think maybe you go with someone who's a more veteran coach who can get those guys to play because I think it's going to be tough for him to really tell those guys what to do when they're basically on the same level as him. But, yeah, I yeah. think, uh, and especially in managing their minutes as well, I think it's going to be interesting. But I think the Knicks have made some, like, curious moves here. Andrea Bargnani, I'm not really mm-hmm. sure where he fits in. They didn't really need another shooter, another scorer. They needed some defense. 
Uh, they re-signed J.R. Smith, which I thought was kind of a stupid move. I think they should have probably put more emphasis on uh, Shumpert than Smith. I think Smith is too erratic for them. He didn't show up in the playoffs. Uh, and no, I think not. they need some size. And I know there's been some uh, trade rumors of uh, Redmond Rowe for Shumpert. I think that would be a great trade for the Knicks mm-hmm. if they could bring him yeah. in. I think maybe that puts him over the top. But I think the Knicks, especially with uh, Meta World Peace, too, uh, bringing mm-hmm. him in, I think that was a terrible move by them. Uh, I think he's pretty much finished. I think he's just too crazy, really, to fit in that <laughs> team, especially in sports. So I think they've made some head-scratching moves, and I think they've actually taken a step back, whereas the Nets have definitely taken a step forward. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, some head-scratching moves and definitely going to be some interesting personalities in the state of New York next year for uh, – both professional basketball teams. Kevin Garnett's always a great personality. I think Paul Pierce is the NBA's greatest all-time fake tough guy. So uh, I'll be excited to see him somewhere else. And, and you mentioned another interesting dynamic that I'm going to be really intrigued by how this is going to play out. Because Jason Kidd, I mean, he's basically from the same generation of players as Kevin Garnett and Paul yeah. Pierce. So that could go – I feel like that could either be really good or really terrible. It could really, it could really be, you know, either one where – Either they totally relate to him, and, and it's just like he's their point guard, basically, and they kind of treat it like that, and they listen to him in that sense, or they act like, well, what do you what do you know that I don't know about the game because we've been around the game basically the same amount of time. So, uh, you know, but Jason Kidd, you know, he demanded a ton of mutual respect from guys during his, his day, one of the great point guards in NBA history. So it'll be definitely interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Jeremy, real quick before we get to our uh, obligatory argument, uh, who do you see coming out on top or at least finishing higher in the standings next year between the two New York teams? Um, I mean, I, I think the Nets clearly have the higher ceiling of the two teams. Um, but right now I, I think the Knicks are the safer bet, at least in the regular season, just because they, mm-hmm. they have the framework already in place of their success from last year. And it's basically just swapping out old pieces for new pieces. They don't have to really change anything. Um, the Bargnani trade – is a is a head scratcher in terms of the money involved and the assets they gave up to get him. They gave up the first round pick that they really didn't need to. But in terms of on the court, he's not really like moved the needle for them in either direction. It's sort of just a lateral move. Um, yeah. J.R. Smith, they like they sort of needed his creativity just because Felton, um, you can't give him that much responsibility, and you don't want Carmelo to be the one that's creating offense. You want him to be the one that's sort of moving in space and, like, getting the ball on the move and finishing possessions as opposed to starting them. Um, So in in that sense, you know, they overpaid him, but I thought bringing him back was probably the right move. Um, And Meta World Peace, like, he's not going to be a a big part of their team. He's going to be their ninth man, and he's only going to play 15 minutes a game just to, like, play defense next to Melo against a guy that Melo can't guard, whatever. Um, you know, I think they're going to be about the same as they were last year, and I think in the regular season, definitely going to be their advantage. Um, whereas I think the Nets in the playoffs are going to be the better team. Uh, they're going to use the entire season to figure out what their identity is, and then all of a sudden in the playoffs, they can just start playing all these guys 40 minutes a game. Um, and that's going to be a, a serious problem for teams that are built more on depth like the Knicks are. Um, so in, in terms of the regular season, I would, I, I would think they're going to be about the same. Um, you know, between 48 and 54 wins, like they're going to be, they're both going to be pretty good teams. Um, I would expect the Knicks, the Knicks I think are the safe for the regular season, but the Nets have the higher ceiling. Uh, so I would take them in the playoffs. 
Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, all right, last question. I believe I gave Jeremy the first word the last time we discussed this, so I'm going to give Kells the first word. Uh, Kells, I don't know if you've been to Sweet Sports lately and seen our totally nonpartisan, just laying out the numbers. Uh, I didn't get into efficiency numbers and all all your fancy mumbo-jumbo, Jeremy Conlon. You can do that sometime if you feel like taking the time. Uh, but but just laying out the numbers, uh, I get that you would pick Jordan, but after looking at the numbers, I mean, other than just scoring, you, you have to admit, LeBron stacks up a little bit better in his first 10 years, and we're not even talking about at age 28 where you can make the argument where Jordan you know, came to the league later and all that stuff, but just first 10 years in the league, this guy who came out of high school, you got to admit that he, he does stack up pretty well. If you know, not maybe not quite as impressive, but he stacks up pretty well for a kid that came straight out of high school with the greatest of all time. Yeah, I think there's no question, Joe. But I think my argument has never been about the numbers. My argument mm-hmm. has always been Jordan's intangibles that he brought to the game. Like Jordan was so much more of a competitor than LeBron James is that it's not even they're not even really in the same stratosphere. When you take a look at Ray Allen, doesn't make that shot at the end of the game. Like LeBron yeah. missed that first shot that would have tied it. Like. That's, it's just that kind of stuff that you see from LeBron. And I know he's still young, and I know he's probably had more success, especially when you take a look at the fact that he got to the finals in 07, which was yeah. his like fourth or fifth year in the league, which is very impressive. But at the same time, I think that the way that Jordan made his teammates better, willed his team, would not let them lose. Uh, I think, and especially also the fact that LeBron's gone through a pretty weak Eastern Conference when you take a look at the Pacers. They really don't have any great stars. I wouldn't put the Pacers up there with some of the teams that Jordan beat when you take a look at the Knicks back in the 90s. So I think I know Jeremy's going to have an argument with pretty much everything I just said, but still I'm going to take <laughs> Jordan over LeBron every single time. All right, yeah. And, I mean, and hey, you know, I, I don't think uh, – you're definitely not alone there. And, you know, Jordan, there's a reason he's considered uh, to be the greatest of all time, you know, his royal airness, all that stuff. Uh, so I, I don't think there's, you know, a wrong opinion to say you take Jordan over LeBron. But I, I do think that some people just say there's absolutely zero argument. And I, I think there's somewhat of an argument to me. The guy, LeBron, is off to an all-time start for his first 10 years of his career. So that, that's the simple point I'm making. And also, I mean, you know, you talk about the, the Pacers. You know, they're not a team that Jordan beat back when he was beating teams in the East. But – that Spurs team with three future Hall of Famers and an amazing coach, that was pretty impressive, too. And, yeah, Ray Allen, it took one of the more improbable wins ever for them to get over the top, but still a pretty impressive win. Yeah. Jeremy, when you looked at those numbers, what, I know you mentioned that Kobe Ryan didn't even really deserve to be in the conversation, but what did you kind of see from the, from the numbers for you guys? Um, well, I mean, uh, first I'm going to respond to a few of the things that Kel said. And some he made some good points, and some I would disagree with. The term, like, in terms of, like, the Ray Allen shot that, you know, made the, the one game six. Like, Jordan's teammates have made shots like that, too. John Paxson made a shot in the 93 finals that uh, won them the series, basically. Keith Kerr made a shot in the 97 finals that won them the series, basically. Um, so it's, it's not like Jordan was making every shot in every game. That That's not what actually happened. Um, and in terms of, you know, willing his team to win, like, the Bulls were under 500 until Scottie Pippen joined the team. Like, they did not finish above 500 until Scottie Pippen was on the team. They made the playoffs because the East was terrible, and they got swept by the Celtics. But they were a below 500 team until Scottie Pippen was on the team. Yeah. So, to sort of, like, throw all the teammates under the rug in both – I don't think that's fair. 
Um, in terms of the numbers, Jordan still has the edge. Um, in terms of uh, volume scoring and overall efficiency, um, but that is mostly because when LeBron came into the league, he was 19 years old right out of high school, and his rookie season does not compare well to Jordan's. Um, so if you were to just look at them at ages 21 through 28, which is the age of Jordan during the league, their numbers are pretty much identical. Jordan has a slight lead in player efficiency rating. It's I think it's 29.8 to 29.1, but they're both within the same general range. Um, and then the, I think if, if you're going to put them in the, in the same range in terms of what they do in, in terms of statistics, I think the defense is what um, – has to separate them, and Jordan is a better one-on-one lockdown defender than LeBron is, but LeBron is much more versatile in terms of being able to defend multiple positions. He'd go from guarding Tony Parker to guarding Manny Ginobili to guarding Kawhi Leonard to even guarding you know, Tim Duncan in a few instances. Um, just the, the versatility he brings on defense is something that Jordan couldn't match. Um, so, I mean, if you, you know, force me to pick as a gun to head, I actually might pick Jordan just because uh, volume scoring is more valuable in a one-game scenario or a one-series scenario. Um, but I don't think it's—I don't think it's an easy, easy decision at all. I think they're—they're they're basically identical, and the only way to really differentiate them is to just nitpick. Um, yeah. That doesn't really help anybody. You're just pointing out flaws that you're, you're magnifying flaws that don't need to be magnified because they're both such great players. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think uh, if you had to ask which one are you taking, it depends. Well, do I have Scottie Pippen to pair him with, or do I have Dwayne Wade to pair him with? If I have Dwayne Wade, I want LeBron. If I have Scottie Pippen, I want Michael Jordan, because, you know, they just kind of match up a little bit better than that. Uh, that's all the time we've got on this edition of Taking You to School. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, for Jeremy Conlon and Kels Dayton, I'm Joe Varela. Have a great, very limited rest of your weekend, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.